Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. All right, heads up, folks. It's not all doom and gloom, but we definitely discuss traumatic childbirth in this episode. So as usual, feel free to skip if you need to. And if you are planning for your own labour, or you're a birthing partner, then please check out Five Times More's website for resources to empower mums and their birthing partners when labour arrives. That's F-I-V-E-X-M-O-R-E dot com. Okay, let's begin. When I was in year eight, our biology teacher showed us a video of a woman giving birth. It was filmed in the 1970s, so there was hippie hair everywhere. And as soon as I saw the baby's head start to crown, I just couldn't take it. I closed my eyes and I didn't open them back up until the classroom lights went back on. When you're pregnant, some people think that it's helpful to tell you to watch shows like One Born Every Minute. But my advice is don't, just don't. Talking to friends and family members who have given birth can be more helpful, but still, labour experiences can vary so wildly depending on an infinite number of variables, so you do have to take each account as a singular event. This is episode 5 of Black Bella Presents The Survival Guide. I'm Jandela Benson, head of editorial at Black Ballad, and this episode, we're finally going to talk about childbirth. When I was pregnant with my second child, there was a statistic that came to light that black mums in Britain were five times more likely to die in childbirth than white mums. That scared the crap out of me. Every time I saw it appear, I had to close whatever app I was in or whatever article I was looking at because the fear that such a figure inspires is not useful when you're heavily pregnant. But for those of us who are not presently carrying children, it can still seem quite abstract because Britain is still far more safer for women giving birth than other countries around the world. So how does this happen? Do you remember Anu, the doctor doctor and the mum to two from our first episode? Well, she wondered this herself. When I talk about my birth story, I try and engage the audience because I don't want to put anybody off. Or like make anybody fearful of what it could be like. The birth of my first son was not good. 
when when now when you hear the statistics of maternal death amongst black women and you read that it's five times higher even when I read that I was like god how can that be true right but then I thought about the birth of my son and I was like yeah no I can see it I can see how that can happen because but for having my mum there who was a midwife for 20 years and so is in a familiar setting for her and so was very comfortable in advocating for me and essentially in fighting for me, things would have unfolded in a very different way. And not everybody has that. And even if people, and even when you do, still things go very wrong. My waters broke and they were, it was all green, which is a bad sign because it means the baby has passed meconium, which is his first poo. And if they've done that in utero, then it's usually because they're distressed. And so when my waters broke, I was like, oh my God, they're green. So straight away, I was like panic stricken. So we drove to the hospital and I was assessed and they could see his hair when they examined me, but my cervix was basically like not even one centimeter dilated. So it was a long way to go, obviously. So I got put on mesentocin drip, which is to basically accelerate everything And it's like giving your contractions crack, right? So it makes your contractions go from whatever, whatever it is already trying to break you in half to like just exponential levels of of pain. And I really didn't want to have an epidural, not because I am any sort of warrior or earth mum or anything like that, but because at work I'd seen complications of epidurals, which are really, really, really rare. But I had seen them like just before going on maternity leave and I'm a radiologist. And so I'd reported a scan of somebody who'd like developed and like, I just didn't, I didn't want to go down that road. So I was just firming it on this drip for like 12 hours with no pain relief. And it was awful. That was my choice for sure. And then I couldn't take it anymore because I, and I didn't think like I should have considered how exhausting it is to labour. And I hadn't anticipated it taking so long, given that I was on the drip. 12 hours later, when I was still only like not even four centimetres dilated, after literally contracting non-stop for the whole 12 hours on this drip, which they kept turning up and turning up, I was like, I'm too tired now. I don't have like the reserve to keep going, knowing that we're not even halfway. So at that point, the anaesthetist came, gave me an epidural, and then I felt worse. I felt so much worse. I was like, man, this thing is supposed to be the magical stuff. By that point, I think it was just too late. So it didn't work, basically. I felt worse and I just felt like my life was ending. And then the baby started decelerating and his heart rate started dropping. And that happened several times. And they had to call the crash team and then the crash team came and it was just horrible. And then they were like, well, let's just leave you on the drip for a little bit longer and see how you... And my mum was like, is it not time to like, just, you know, call it and take her to theatre and, and have this baby via cesarean? And they were like, no, 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 let's try again. Let's give her four more hours. So they gave me four more hours. Baby decelerated again, another crash call. So finally they were like, okay, we're going to take you to theatre. So this is now like 4am the next day. I came to hospital at 10am on Monday And so then we're in theatre and like my husband's like, you know, at the head end and they've got the exactly how it looks in the movies. They've got the drape up and, you know, it's 
I'm excited because now like, okay, finally, this is going to be over. And basically, oh, before that, when they finally agreed that they were going to take me to theatre and and have a cesarean, this junior doctor who I've never met before, who hadn't been there the entire time that I'd been labouring, came in and was like, yeah, hi, I'm the doctor. I'm going to be doing your cesarean. And I was like, yeah, who are you? And she was like, yeah, no, I'm da da da. And I was like, yeah, no, no, sorry, that's not going to happen. Like, one, you've not even been here. Two, you're like the the most junior person on the team. I know because I am also a doctor and even the professional courtesy. And this is not a straightforward case. We know that I've got endometriosis or you should know that. You know that this baby is already in distress. You know that this is now like 18 hours into the whole thing. It, it shouldn't be the most junior person that is going to be having a go on. Like, that's just not even... So my, when I was talking about having an advocate, this is so my mum went out into the corridor and basically raised holy hell and was like, no way, you need to get the consultant here, blah, blah, blah. Oh, the consultant's dealing with, you know, a, a hemorrhage, whatever, whatever. And she was like, well, then you need to get somebody else senior. So anyway, the registrar then came in and was like, I'm going to do your section, blah, 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 blah. So that all kerfuffle took however long. We get to theatre now, I'm on the table and they start and I'm like, yeah, I can feel that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, I'm remembering this bit of the story now. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> and then um, they were like, yeah, 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 no, 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 you can't. And I was like, yeah, I'm a doctor. Don't tell me what I should. I shouldn't be able to feel. I'm supposed to be anaesthetised and I can feel what you're doing. And they were like, oh, you'll be aware. And I was like, don't talk to me like I'm stupid. By this point, it's now, I don't know, 20, however many hours of no sleep, no any no food no nothing and Zebedee is like panicking my husband's panicking and I was like I can feel what you're doing it hurts I know that I'm supposed to be I know I'm awake I know I'm supposed to be aware of what's happening I get all of that I know that I'm going to feel something I'm not supposed to feel pain and I can feel sharp pain so now everybody in theatre is panicking because I've had the epidural. Nobody knows why it's not working, right? And I described to them like exactly in anatomical terms, exactly the distribution of the pain. This is also that they would believe me. Mm. Mm. So then they were like, well, what should we do? Do you want us to just carry on? I was like, I would prefer not to feel <laughs> what you're doing, if you don't mind. So there has to be an alternative. And then the anaesthetist is like at the head end. He's super panicking. He's like, well, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to give you a spinal? I can give you a spinal. And I was like, yeah, I don't want you to give me a spinal. Because even the way he was talking, I was like, it's going to give me a spinal and I'm going to essentially be locked in. Like I'm not going to be able to, he's going to like whack up the dose to make sure that I'm well, you know, anaesthetized. I'm not going to be able to move my arms and just be like, you know, like I'm paralyzed. And I don't want to give birth and not be able to hold my baby. Like... So it's all gone Pete Tong. I ended up having a general anaesthetic because that's all that anybody could suggest. And they wanted me to make the call. They were like, well, what do you want us to do? And I was like, you're supposed to be my medical team. You're supposed to have my best interests at the forefront of what's happening. What is safest for me and my baby? Like, anyway, I was like, if you've got to do a GA, then you do the GA. So they put me to sleep and that's how I had my baby. So I woke up, I don't know how many, how long later and... Yeah, like it was just bizarre. I literally woke up and then I was like, oh, that's my baby. Like I was in a different room, different people. Like my scar is like so crazy because obviously by that point, everything is so rushed. So they literally just, it was not a happy time at all. And then I had all these kind of after effects because of the general anesthetic. Yeah. And I didn't realize until 
at least almost a year later, how traumatized psychologically I'd been by that whole experience. And you ended up just really burying it because you've got a baby and you have to cope and you have to now, that's the focus of your attention. Do you know what I mean? And it was only when I got pregnant the second time that I was like, had this deep fear of how I was going to give birth because I was like, I don't want to go through what I went through last time. And I don't know how to protect myself against that. And to be fair, I had the baby, my second son at a different hospital. They were amazing. I had time to go through my notes from the first birth and go through everything that happened and the timeline with a midwife and kind of talk through the trauma, if you like, to have a better understanding and kind of regain control, if you like. Yeah. So I ended up having the second baby by cesarean after much back and forth about what to do. But that was elective. And it was pretty much the complete opposite experience to the first delivery. And it was amazing. It was amazing to be awake (laughs) and to like see him as soon as he came out and hear him cry and hold him and all of that skin to skin, all that stuff that like I didn't get to do the first time. The stark contrast between Anu's first and second birth is something I can relate to. My first labour was not great and I won't bore you with too many details. But after having a really healthy and active pregnancy with zero complications and planning for a straightforward labour in a nice warm birthing pool, the reality of being rushed into theatre and having my child yanked out of me by forceps is one that I can say quite definitely contributed to my postnatal depression. I too buried the trauma and during my second pregnancy I didn't even bother to plan my birth because what was the point? You can do everything right and still end up in a nightmare situation. But after some firm and gentle encouragement from a friend, I sat down with her and we wrote out my birth plan anyway. Talking through my options with her was very therapeutic, partly because I didn't even realise how much I could ask for in terms of my care. But also because I think it was the first time that I actually processed how disappointed I was with my experience the first time round. And my second experience of childbirth was amazing. Again, I didn't get my perfect water birth scenario, but the combination of being more confident about my body's signals and also an amazing team of midwives meant that even though I ended up delivering my 10 pound baby, yes, (laughs) my baby boy was 10 pounds with basically no pain relief. It's an experience that I do think back on fondly. A theme that seems to come up time and again when it comes to negative birthing experiences is the fact that women don't feel listened to, especially when it comes to pain. In the Black Ballad Motherhood Survey, when we asked mums who reported negative birthing experiences to give more details, pain was a reoccurring theme. Many women felt that their pain was dismissed or not taken seriously with some even being denied pain relief outright because midwives assumed that they were exaggerating. When I was in labour the first time around, my midwife took away my gas and air because she said that it was prolonging the labour process. And then she told me that I was African, so I shouldn't need it. Historical attitudes towards women's pain are appalling in general. But this particular dismissive attitude towards black women comes from long-held racist views that black people have a higher pain threshold and can tolerate more physical pain. 
This is the thinking that those that enslaved us used as an excuse for their brutality, as well as the reason why J. Marion Sims, a man commonly called the godfather of modern gynaecology, experimented on enslaved black women he owned without pain relief, perfecting techniques that he then went on to use on his white female patients, but of course with pain relief. This kind of thinking is entrenched in how medicine is taught, even if generally speaking, outright racism has been edited out of the textbooks. It's the thinking that is taught to midwives of all ethnicities and races, as some of the women who completed the survey can attest to black midwives being just as unhelpful as white ones. For the record, I was attended to by black midwives at both of my births, although they were at two different hospitals. As I said, the black midwife at the first hospital was patronising, insulting and unhelpful. But the black midwives at the second hospital were attentive, caring and I really cannot thank them enough for my care. The other biggest difference was the fact that I was confident enough the second time around to listen to my body. And I was prepared to go to war with anyone who would try and tell me differently. This is something really important and something that five times more highlights. Now, if you didn't know, five times more is the campaign founded by two black mums that raises awareness about maternal mortality rates amongst black women in the UK. This episode is slightly different in format than usual, but I wanted to end on six steps outlined by the five times more campaign that birthing mothers can do to feel empowered about their pregnancy and labour. So first of all, speak up. If you feel like something isn't right, make sure you speak to a medical professional and don't stay silent. Number two, find an advocate for yourself. This could be your partner, a family member or a trusted friend that can speak on your behalf if need be. Three, seek a second opinion. You are actually allowed to ask for a second opinion of another medical professional if you feel that you want one. Number four, trust your gut feeling. Your gut feeling is almost always right. Don't ignore it. You know your body better than anyone. Number five, do your research on pregnancy and labour from trusted resources such as nhs.uk, nice.org.uk and patient.info. And finally, number six, document everything. Five times more recommends you make sure that any treatment or medication you are given or refused is written down in your maternity notes by your doctor or midwife, stating their name and the reason why. You can even go a step further and keep your own personal journal and write down all the information for your own cross-reference. Of course, ultimately, while we can advocate better for ourselves, midwives and doctors are the ones actually responsible for and in charge of our care. And five times more have five steps that maternal healthcare professionals can take to better safeguard black women's health, as well as five steps for birthing partners and advocates. If you're pregnant now or thinking about having children, please don't let the negative experiences scare you. Knowledge is power. So use all the information, all the resources and the professional medical advice available at your disposal. And whether it's a partner, a trusted friend, a family member or even a doula, 
prep your birthing partner beforehand so they can communicate your wishes and advocate firmly and confidently on your behalf. I'm going to sound a bit woo-woo now, (laughs) but birth is wild, it's messy, it's beautiful. Yes, it can be scary and it doesn't always go exactly how we'd like, but there is nothing like it. And whether you give birth with nothing but breathing exercises, crystals and incense, or whether you take all the pain relief and scientific innovation on offer, the most important thing is that you and your baby are healthy and happy and you feel empowered in your decisions. Okay? Great. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Black Ballad Presents The Survival Guide. If you love us as much as I love you for listening, then please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts and also subscribe wherever you usually listen to podcasts. This episode was written by me, Jandela Benson, and produced by Christina Moore of Don't Skip. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.